This is Janine. And this is Stephanie with Girls on Film, and you're listening to Paper Cuts. Welcome to Paper Cuts. I am your host, Christopher Cardin Bicus, and I am joined today by Stephanie McDivitt and Janine Skelza, the co-founders of Girls on Film. Paper Cuts is an exploration of the contemporary world of zines and DIY publications. Janine, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to be learning more about Girls on Film, the quarterly zine about 80s films, where each issue features writing on a thematically linked set of films from that illustrious decade. Thanks for having us. (laughs) Yeah, we're excited to be here. Yeah, I was... uh, very excited to see your zine for the first time at the Capitol Art Book Fair um, this past year in the spring. And since you're local to DC or to the DC area, and so am I, I was also surprised that it was the first time that I had seen this zine. (laughs) And you have been making this since December 2017. Yep. That is really our first local event. I think. (laughs) It's funny. It's, um, it's been hard. Well, there aren't like a ton of DC events and we keep striking out with DC Zine Fest. I know they do it based on like a lottery system. Um, and we we actually didn't even sell around here for a long time. We're, we just started selling with uh, People's Books, which is in Tacoma Park. Oh, great. Um, but yeah, we aside from doing the American Library Association annual conference, we haven't done much in the area. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. So when you get got started in 2017, where were you selling your zines? How are you distributing? We we didn't even get that far. We would never thought this would what it would be what it would become. And so in 2019, it might have been um, the American Libraries Association had uh, had their conference in D.C. Their annual conference, mm-hmm. and they host a zine pavilion there, which is great if anybody's in D.C. and the zines. I highly recommend applying. Um, and that was our first big event. And what an amazing event, event to start on because you're in the middle of this gigantic exhibit hall with librarians and archivists and all of that. And it was just such a fun experience. So after that, I think just kind of just by sheer sort of just sheer luck, we we just started applying to other events and kind of seeing where where else we could take it and really just more to go to the events and less to exhibit. I think it was just fun to be part of the whole community. Yeah, we, um, I love getting out there and talking to people about the zine and about 80s movies, but our first five issues came out only digitally. Um, yeah. And we would like post on Facebook and hope our friends would read them. And then, yeah, after ALA, we were like, oh no, this is like a real thing. And people seem to like it because we sold a lot of books. <laughs> um, and as you know, li- librarians love zines. So, um, yeah. yeah, that, that event really turned things around for us. And then we had a couple that didn't go as well, <laughs> which was interesting. Um, but, and then, you know, six months later, the pandemic hit and we had to figure out uh, another way to get our stuff out there. That was all a very interesting experience. It, and, and actually, the, I mean, as bad as the pandemic was, it wasn't the worst thing because then we, with being digital, we were able to uh, more, I mean, we could exhibit at other festivals around the world. So we got into Glasgow's, uh, in Glasgow, Scotland's uh, Zine Festival. There was a couple in Australia yeah. we did. Um, so um, I, I think it, it it was a terrible situation, but it was a little bit lucky for us in that we sort of expanded our reach just by sheer coincidence. 
Yeah, I feel like there's something about how the pandemic reshaped some of the art book and zine fairs to really open up to a wider audience that somehow fulfills the promise of the premise a little bit more than the physical zine fest do. Just thinking of like access and the ability to showcase like anyone. For sure. Uh, Yeah, you could definitely take on way more people and they certainly did. We were really happy to be part of all of that. It was a lot of fun. It's such a funny trajectory for your project to start off digitally, have like a brief uh, physical manifestation. Did it then like go just digital again before coming back as a physical book? No. So what happened was, so this whole thing was really just a hobby, right? So Steph wasn't working. I wanted to do something and I wanted to do something with Steph. Um, Video was in our thing. Um, we just we, the, there's certain thing there's certain creative outlets that you really need a lot of time for, and we were we both have things going on. We couldn't do it. But zines I knew, and Steph already it was a was a writer, and um, to kind of put it all together worked out great. So once we hit ALA, we started thinking, well, now we have to like actually find places to print the zine, and from there it became we'll always have to. And we even had to go back because everything was digital to begin with, go back like we have endnotes in our zine. And, and at first they were all hyperlinked. So then we had to go back and redesign everything to stick them at the end with the intention now that everything we do going forward is going to be in print. And we'll either sell them at festivals or we'll sell them in bookstores. I mean, that they even wound up in bookstores was just because um, like with probably with anybody's experience with festivals is people come to you and say, hey, can I buy a couple of copies and sell this? And so like so much of this has just been by chance. Um, and so that's that's really like the thing has taken off more than we could ever, you know, like I said, more than we could have ever expected going into it from the beginning from something that was just like, hey, hey Steph, let's just make something, you know? <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know what a zine was. I'll be honest with you. Janine had the zine experience. I, at the time, was totally unemployed. And I, I didn't, that was like October-ish of 2018. And I think I was unemployed until... I know I was unemployed until, I'm sorry, it was October 2017, and I didn't start working until August 2018, so I had a ton of time to kill to figure out how to make this work, and I'll never forget, when we were at ALA, um, another zinester came over and was talking about how much she loved our stuff, and I was like, you mean, like, girls on film, like, my thing? Like, is that, what, how are you even talking about this right now? I think her husband had bought an issue home the night before, but I was like, this we just write this in our basement like <laughs> people like this <laughs> so it, it really did it really did we've really just been kind of riding the wave like as it's come and it's it's gone pretty well I would say yeah that's so wonderful to hear and in some ways I feel like this is such a great pandemic project I know that it started well beforehand but thinking about that time as uh, notoriously when people were like really at home watching movies and binging things <laughs> yes having a zine completely dedicated to the 1980s divvied up by like genre and theme seems really perfect for that uh, Absolutely. yeah um and the ala is an amazing event like that's i'm so glad that you two were were there and and that was such a good uh jumping off point for the current success of the zine yeah, we've done it twice we now. Back. Oh, sorry, Steph. We went back one more time to ALA, uh, I believe last year. Did we do that last year, Steph? Yeah. Yeah. So, so 
Janine, you have a long zine history. Mm-hmm. And Stephanie, you said you like, did not really know what zines were until this project. Yeah, I so probably I have... heard. You talk. Oh, sorry. I think, Janine, I'm sorry. I think I have a little delay. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Steph. <laughs> oh, okay. I had heard Janine talk about them, but I had no idea. Um, and then I quickly learned it's pretty much do what you want and see if and give it to people and if they read it they read it but obviously her experience is very different mm-hmm. I yeah I think I I don't even remember if I shared examples when we had initially started talking about the project like I would say zine 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 right and to and the way we I mean the way our looks is not that traditional photocopied look you know half page style that, that zines traditionally were so I have one picture in my head of what things were. And I don't think Steph really saw anything that resembled that until we really, until we went to ALA and other people had their work on display. That was that more traditional look. So, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah. And I, I guess the way I might've described the project was more like a magazine to Steph um, than just the old, the old notion of what zines were. So Janine, when you first got into zines, were you an avid maker or a collector or did one come through, come before the other? I, I just, uh, so mine was more haphazard. Like they're really embarrassing to go back and read now stuff that you write in high school. Right. So mine were just, (laughs) you know, writing a bunch of bullshit really. (laughs) And, but they were fun. You, I remember sitting down with my brother, we'd watch movies all the time. So we'd sit down and like, just in the floor paste together all this nonsense that we wrote or pictures out of cut out of magazines and all that and put it together. So mine really weren't, um, they weren't about anything in particular. I think I started a comic strip and that was the only regular thing that ran between issues. But for the most part, mine was just nonsense. And the ones that I had first come across the other friends that I, the friends that I had in high school who had done it too, uh, that was mostly theirs too. We had one friend who was maybe more consistent with what he wrote about, which was politics. But for the most part, we just wrote a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> and that anybody read it was a great idea. So that just really kept us going. <laughs> <laughs> and where where was it? So were you growing up at? Um, I was growing up in, uh, I went I went to school in Central Florida. I grew up around Orlando. And what was nice at the time, this would have been in the, the mid to late 90s, was we had record stores um, DIY Records was a big one for us, um, and a couple of the old CD shops and bookstores who said to us, we were just 16 or so at the time, who said, hey, come in and put this stuff on our shelves. We didn't sell it or anything, but the people came in and, and took it off the shelves and read it was a pretty big deal. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really amazing to have just a local outlet for that. Yeah, and then now those are all gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even in D.C. too, like when I moved here for, uh, in college, uh, in grad school around uh, 2004, um, we had an info shop in D.C. that was um, out on 9th Street. 9th Street now is like a, a bunch of million dollar properties. I mean, that thing left pretty yeah. pretty quick after that. Uh, the gentrification came in and wiped everything out. But, yeah, we used to have a lot more <laughs> in the old days to distribute things in person. And then. Uh, Stephanie, are you from the D.C. area or did you come here later? No, I grew up in uh, southern New York in Westchester County, um, just like a very suburban, just north of the Bronx. But I went to Catholic in Northeast. 
undergrad. And then I was home for a few years. I moved back here in 2006. And my college roommate went to grad school with Janine, which is how we ended up meeting. Um, but then I worked at Marymount University for a long time and I got a, my master's there. Um, but yeah, Janine and I go way back to when I first moved here permanently, really. And did you quickly discover that you both shared a love for 80s movies or did this come about specifically as part <laughs> of the, uh, the zine project? So I've always loved movies. I've always loved going to the movies. My undergrad degree is actually in theater. Um, so I've always had a bit of a flair for the dramatic, if you will. But I mean, I've seen, I've seen the standards. Um, and I, I've seen a lot of Asian movies, but really nobody can compare to Janine. <laughs> like she's seen <laughs> everything. We plan out our issues a year in advance. And every scene we pick, Janine will list just like a bunch of suggestions and she's seen probably 95% of the movies. She suggest, am, I, am I right? <laughs> I think so. But that was another relic of the old days with the video stores. And I used to love going in there every Friday night and get a big stack of movies and watch them over the weekend. So we spent a lot of time there growing up. Yeah. And she knows kind of like movies that I kind of like. Like I'm not into horror or any of that kind of stuff. We have other writers that write about that. But so she can pick out the good ones that you know, if I'm having trouble finding something, she'll be like, no, 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 you should try this movie. You're usually right. I would say I usually like them. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, like, your nostalgia for 80s films? Like, is it is the nostalgia for the 80s rooted particularly in the films or just, like, that's the decade that the three of us all grew up in as, like, elder millennials? And those are the films oh, that you just, watch I, over and over again. Do you want to answer that one, Steph? <laughs> um, yeah, I was just going to say, start off. I think I'm in the very small portion of people born in the 80s that uh, I will say I'm a Gen X. <laughs> but <laughs> I, um, uh, yeah, you know, it's part. It's partially just like nostalgia for your childhood and nostalgia for simpler times since the world is such a shit show right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, the movies themselves, sometimes like watching them play video games in these movies or something so ridiculous like that, that you're like, how was that our life, you know, for so long? But I think for me, it's just remembering movies that I love. Like I, I tend to write a lot about uh, Jim Henson movies and the Muppet movies and stuff like that. And, yeah. you know, they, and they still hold up and I can sing all the words to all the songs. And I think that that holds a lot for me. Yeah, I think I think that probably in the beginning it probably was more of a nostalgia project. Like I knew the movies and stuff. Like I knew, you know, we kind of had an idea of what each other liked. And it, and by the first, the music issue was our first one. And I I was so jazzed, gonna go back and watch Repo Man and some of these other things. But watching them <laughs> when our twenty second issue is coming up, and so you know by now it's more like like Steph was saying, you go back now, it's more of a how do you react to the stuff that they made, you know, 30 and 40, 40 years ago? It's it's uh, um, more out of, I guess, amazement for for things that how much is, how much things have changed, especially in filmmaking, what kind of passes and what doesn't anymore. It's it's really, uh, really interesting to, to go back and see those things. It's um, I, I don't know. And 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 also to go go back and things, watch the things that you loved and then find out that maybe they were shit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is always a little depressing. 
<laughs> and it's like the double yeah, the nostalgia aspect of this, right? It's like going back and revisiting things and feeling great about seeing this thing that you love, yeah. but then also being like, oh man. You're looking at all this stuff now through the lens of an adult, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so some of it is just because it is the 80s and a lot of things did fly. Uh, some of it is a bit um, crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. I was saying when, when you, when you know something, you just held like in your heart, you're like, this is the best movie. And then we watch it now. I'm like, oh, yeah, so good. <laughs> Do you have um, sp specific films you've written about in your zines that you did hold on to and cherish? And then upon rewatching, you had to <laughs> very much reevaluate your uh, stance on them. I think I remember when I was big into skateboarding um, back in the day and um, Gleaming the Cube, the Christian Slater movie was my one of my favorites. I thought, it was, oh, this is so different. It's like a Cold War skateboarding movie. It was so weird. <laughs> and just going back, it's so embarrassing to watch. You can see Christian Slater laughing through his lines. It was that bad. But, oh, I loved it back in the day. <laughs> now I don't think I could sit through it anymore. Yeah, I would have to say uh, I was a big Rainbow Bright fan growing up, and I actually don't remember watching the movie, but in researching about it, I didn't realize she was a Hallmark creation, um, and oh, just basically man. meant to stuff. Yeah, she was just a marketing tool, which was a bummer. The movie's not good. I, I wouldn't watch the movie. Um, I'd have to go back and watch the TV show to see if it, if it comes close, but that one was, was pretty tough, I think. <laughs> I will say that uh, I was before this interview, I was looking through issue 19, the family friendly films. And so much of these films were things that I watched in my first experience at the video store, going through and picking out the the cassettes, which where I grew up in Pennsylvania, where I was out of Pittsburgh, it was not is before all the like big chains opened up or even like the smaller family run versions of that in our video store was the hardware store yeah so it's just like one wall of films that you had to like <laughs> and you had to like take a a little marker that had a number and bring it to the front counter and then george would like take the marker and give you the <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of the films my sisters and i rented from the from george's hardware were, were referenced in this awesome oh nice <laughs> <laughs> but it is an experience that I, I do miss is like that kind of browsing to find films and then to enjoy that with you know with with friends and family I think you see a bigger push for that now I mean especially with all the streaming services and things coming and going as quickly as they do um like um I think it's videos uh scarecrow video out in Oregon uh runs a series lately on their YouTube channel for um like the preservation of media, of physical media, you know, and and kind of that, you know, having this stuff and being able and being able to walk into a video store and browse. I mean, I wouldn't have found any of this stuff if I if I yeah. didn't have a chance to just sit sit there and and look at it. And and these are things now. A lot of them that I write about um, are things that um, like they're movies you don't know to look for because you wouldn't have known they were exi they, they existed anyways, right? So um, it's sort of sad how some of it disappeared and will disappear you know but um i think there is that push 
um, out in Baltimore, Beyond Video opened a couple of years ago. And my thought was, well, how is a video store going to survive? But I think they've done actually pretty well because people do get nostalgic for that. As a, I kind of want to stick on the topic of nostalgia for a little bit. And I'm wondering if this project has like changed or focused how you like what your relationship is with your own nostalgia. And I don't know how, how best to frame this question other than that. Like, um, how does nostalgia function for you? Like, is, is it something that you get pleasure from? Or is it something that like you don't really want to be stuck in this era for too long, even if you are developing a project around it? Like, how much of your personhood or your identity is wrapped up in the in this decade? That's a, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I would say... You know, they, I mean, I I will date myself. I was born in 1980, so I was alive for the whole thing, but that not really fully aware for a lot of it, right? So, um, and oh man, I don't even really know how to answer that. It um, I don't say I don't think a lot of my personhood is wrapped up in this decade, but I say that also knowing that I love 80s music. My husband and I go out to the Black Cat. They have 80s dance parties all the time. I'm going to see Depeche Mode on Monday night. Like I saw The Cure over the summer, you oh, know. So great. maybe more of my wrapped up it than uh, than I think. But um, I think, especially over the last couple of years, it's definitely been like a comfort place for me because adult life has been so difficult. I'm like every way you look. Um, so <laughs> I don't think it's changed my relationship with nostalgia, but it maybe a little bit, but not that much. Also in all of this, my husband um, lived out of the country for a while as a kid. So he's got a big pop culture gap that um, I get to fill. So while I'm rewatching these movies, sometimes he's watching them for the first time, which is also pretty fun to see how he reacts to them, having never seen them as a kid. Um, and that makes his opinions very different seeing them for a first time as adults, which I can say, I've seen a lot of 80s classic movies for the first time as an adult. Like, I don't like Dirty Dancing. Don't tell my friend Nicole, she'll freak out if she heard me say that. I do not like that movie, but I never saw it when I was younger because um, it's not a movie for kids, first of all. But yeah, I don't think it's changed my relationship, but I definitely think it's become a place that I like to maybe crawl inside a little bit when the real world gets to, to be too much. I agree. I, I was going to say nothing, but I, I totally agree with Steph's statement. <laughs> Yeah, I I think it's just, it's really interesting looking back at this decade that, like, I was born in 83, so I lived through the majority of it, but I can't say that I have very strong memories from the age of seven and below, uh, like, more, like, flashes of things or very specific memories, but that decade does hold such cultural weight, and I... I now have students who have made like 80s zines <laughs> as college kids and are like, will tell me how obsessed they are with the music and the films of the 80s, which is also when I get the chance to like pull out your zine in class and talk about it. Um, but it's also <laughs> just like these kids were, were born in the 2000s. Um, <laughs> it's just a, a strange relationship with with that time period. It, it is funny. I mean, it's, when we started this a few years ago um, and 
we ran into 20 somethings at zine festivals and we'd say, you know, I, our, our sort of opening line is, do you like eighties movies? And they would kind of get blank stares, but the fact <laughs> that we get more younger people who are, and probably thanks to, thanks to things like, um, you know, stranger things made, made all this a very big deal. Um, but we do see that more and it is very interesting to see how, uh, how much younger people, um, uh, what their what their views are on, on all of this? You know, we're we're watching this as adults, and now they're watching this as twenty somethings in the modern world. And what is that like for them? Can you tell us a little bit about your uh, approach to writing in this zine? Because it seems like it is a, a combination of review and essay about the film. Is that like a, a fair? Um, yeah. Or- Oh, I would love to start here because I can tell you how this all started out. <laughs> so when we first started the first uh, issue, I I think Janine had a pretty clear picture where it was going. And I was like, I've got like six pages. What do you want me to do with it? She was like, no, it needs to be two pages. <laughs> and then I, you know, I hadn't written anything. I think I had a blog at one point, but aside from grad school. So both of us, I think, were very academic in our writing. And yeah. we had to learn, me more, but we had to learn to like make it casual. And then if you read the first issue, I don't think, I think I wrote about hairspray, which I provided some, some um, con- like background content and context for, but I don't think I did for any of the other movies. Um, and it slowly evolved into more looking, not only like a review and a short summary, but looking at production history, looking at casting history, um, like other like trivia things like weird things about the movies in the um in our first issue for next year so issue 23 we're writing about romance movies and i'm looking at um this uh, usher thing right asher thing the usher thing i forget what it's called it's a rob reiner movie and when harry met sally because the first the the, the sure thing is almost like a precursor like you can tell mm-hmm. he did both movies they're pretty similar and i'll be able to like kind of compare them so i think it's evolved from just like here's this one movie i wrote to here's this like we can look at it on like a bigger scale too it's not just like individual movies and janine and i do that often when we write we're like look at janine's essay for this movie and yeah but yeah she can she can give her take but that's kind of where it started for me and how it's kind of evolved yeah i i think it's taken on more of a um more of a magazine style too. Um, we re- we re- include things now like the. It took us a, a few issues. No, maybe it didn't. Um, with the release dates and directors' names and all that too, and including the essays. But um, and and I I that it's just right. It was really hard to do this to start with, and really try and just be. And for me, it's still kind of hard to just be casual. I, I feel like it's it it starts out dry and then it works its way around. But um, what's nice too is we have. Uh, we always we have a few guest writers and we have uh, two other regular writers and and so there's a nice variation too in the style so even if it's too much of us um, being too dry or whatever the case is at least there's a lot of variety um, coming from other folks and, and in terms of the movies we pick too it, it's a good variety of folks um, our writer in Ohio Rhonda um, likes a lot of the the B movies um, the grindhouse kind of stuff um, like sorority babes and slime slime ball bowl around is a good one um so that's more her style and her and she writes from a very uh personal perspective a lot of the essays are how she viewed them as a kid and and reflecting on them now as an adult 
Um, and I write with my brother who's, um, well, I guess matches my style mostly because I do most of the writing, but, <laughs> but, but it's always interesting to bounce up stuff from, from him too, because his, his idea is, you know, who are you writing this for? You really have to stop and think what people are interested in, <laughs> in seeing in these essays. So I, I tend to go through many, many drafts. Uh, it is still tough to write. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> writing is the worst. Yeah. It's the hardest thing to do. Um, when you are getting your guest writers, are you like soliciting? Are you asking people specifically to write things for you? Are you collecting pitches or how do, how can people get involved with girls on film if they want to, or is that, uh, you need to be in the, you need to know you. No, uh, we, we, uh, on our website, uh, if anybody is interested, please go to girls on and, um, uh, there's a contact form on there and, and we just ask for bios and a um, little bit of information about yourself. You don't even have to be a girl. <laughs> We've had all kinds of writers, all ages, as long as you love 80s movies and want to write about them, please, we, we welcome you. <laughs> we haven't solicited any of our writers. They just, um, we've had people contact us and said, you know, I'm interested in writing, here's my information. And we do like a brief interview and kind of see what fits. And I think we've worked with everybody who's contacted us and at least followed up with us again. It didn't ghost us. Um, so we've had writers from all over and uh, yeah. Um, now that you're on issue 23 is next, correct? Mm -hmm. uh, 22. Uh, 22. 22. What's the theme for that? Aliens. <laughs> do you... Are you Again, finding that you're running out of themes or are you able to, to tweak things a little bit to get what you need? So I think so we, we I'm sorry, I keep interrupting Steph. I'm gonna I'm gonna shut up. <laughs> Let's do no, some time. It's okay. It's okay. Um we have a running list and usually um we do everything in Google Drive. So when we have people join on for more than a couple issues, like somebody who's gonna stick around for a while everybody can have access to our stuff. And um, Rhonda, I know, has contributed immensely to the running list of themes. So we haven't, I mean, I don't, when we started this, I thought there was no way we'd be talking about issue. I mean, we had the 20th issue, which was a special issue, just for the record. The 20th issue was about women in 80s movies that we liked. So like I wrote about Winona Ryder, Annabeth Gish, and Joan Cusack. Um, and Janine wrote about Susan Seidelman, Edie McClurg, and who was your third? Sally Field. Right. Um, and Rhonda wrote about Jamie Gertz and Molly Ringwald. Um, but yeah, no, I think, um, and I think if we do ever run out of themes, we can just start doing special issues like we did for the, for the 20th. But yeah, we have a, a never ending list. People always suggest stuff to us too when they, when they meet us at Fest and they, they always, people always have ideas. <laughs> Um, this is going to be my last like 80s specific question. Uh, based on your research into the films of the 80s, how can you sum up the decade in a couple sentences? What What have you learned about the 80s? Um, <laughs> I, I would say that despite a considerable women's live movement, <laughs> that came about in the 80s, especially seeing like Working Girl is a pretty good example. Um, it was still a pretty rough decade <laughs> for us. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think same for like um, persons of color. Like somebody had asked us, we wrote about, I think really the only majority black film that we'd written about was School Days since. Huh? Um, yeah, I don't think it, just one. So uh, so that, and, and I think it sort of ties into um, the people that we, that approach us at, zine festivals they're younger they're all they also tend to be more female and more persons of color um but to find things to write about um in the interest of this group uh that's something that those kids can relate to is really tough in the 80s i mean <laughs> i mean outside of yeah. like you know the obvious like the color purple or something like that i mean there's not a whole lot of uh diversity in the films um which i think well, is I do. <laughs> It's it's sort of oh I did write about Soul Man <laughs> oh so, so, Soul Man's like yeah uh, um, and for those that don't know Soul Man is basically C Thomas Howell in blackface um, who tries to get a scholarship to law school um, because his father won't pay for it um, which is incredibly embarrassing but I think that um, talking about how younger people view the 80s, I think that is a big gap. You don't have those things to relate to. And I think, I mean, we see a lot more um, more representation in stuff now in TV shows and movies, but I still think that a lot of it is lacking. Um, and maybe that's just as these as this generation gets older and starts to make those, becomes the uh the creatives that make those uh kinds of things there'll, there'll be more of that i don't know <laughs> i don't know but you know your majority of your, your filmmakers in the 80s were white guys and that was even tough for us to find outside of susan students susan seidelman for the uh issue about um about women in film i mean outside of her for a director and some of the prominent writers who did you have that was even a woman you know it was mostly white guys running the show and <laughs> going back and watching these movies, you can see a lot of that. Yeah. It's just like a tremendous amount of work that still needs to be done. And, yeah. and I guess tracing the trajectory of that from the eighties until now where streaming, I think has opened things up a little bit more, but still not enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can just imagine it's a bit of a trip watching so many films that are like written and produced by uh straight white men well that's a downer of a question um can... <laughs> what's uh what's the favorite film that you've uh reviewed so far like the most surprising thing to revisit um i have a couple i stand by me is my favorite one of my all-time favorite movies i think um and that one was fun to revisit but difficult to write about because i love it so much <laughs> um i think heather's was probably my favorite that's in our high school issue um also probably one of the most difficult essays i wrote but turned out i think one of the better ones i've written so far but it's just such a great movie and it's so messed up and it it came about at the at like such a small period of time which is the only time period it could have existed for those of you who don't know heathers um it's like you had all like the john hughes movies of like the the popular kids and the jocks and everybody wanting to be like them and then heathers comes along and is like well maybe instead we can just kill them all <laughs> um and there's a lot of school violence and uh christmas slater 
wears a black trench coat and shoots kids at school. And it was pre-Columbine, like pre-school violence, I think, for the most part. Kind of, it came out in 1989, and it kind of brought us out of this, like, Reaganite fantasy of what America could be. But now you can't have that kind of movie. Like, they actually tried to make a TV show, and they had to cancel it because, you know, of all the real-life school violence that happened. So it just, it's it existed in such a small period of time, like, right before grunge music kind of took over, and, like, right after, like, this Pretty in Pink, 16 Candles stuff kind of, John Hughes' part of his career kind of faded away. So it's, I, I love that movie. It, it's very violent, though, for anybody who might be interested in watching it. Here's your warning. Just be prepared. It's amazing, and I love it, but just heads up. <laughs> that made me think of something. I referenced, I referenced that point that you couldn't really make Heathers again today. I forgot what the movie was that we wrote about for that, but that was another high school movie. Um, I think that's a lot of things off limits um, when it comes to high school films now. Um, issues like suicide and mental health and stuff like that uh, are are tough to to deal with um, in film. I think in any way that makes it meaningfully addressed. Yeah. Jeez, um, yeah, uh, I watched. Uh, I remember watching Eat the Rich during the Trump years. This was a an English film about where they basically <laughs> they. The Uber rich eat a restaurant and um, there's these sort of like casual revolutionaries who band together and go and kill them all and cook them. Uh, <laughs> but um, that was really wild. Oh. Some of these movies were really wild to, to um, write about at that time because sort of like, I don't know, what do I say? I don't want to turn everybody off, you know, <laughs> but um, like uh, like they live is a is a carpenter. John Carpenter was notoriously anti Reagan, so to write about that in the Trump age, a lot of these things that kind of came up again is very you know, they sort of regain their relevance in this like, awful period um, that sort of still exists. Uh, so so some of those were really interesting to go back and revisit. Yeah, I, actually, I was thinking about they live over the past couple of years as well. I, I found a really like small edition of a book that was all about they live at one of these art book fairs and it just got me thinking a lot about uh how it really struck a contemporary moment and they went back and interviewed john carpenter too about i mean because you know he's he's still around <laughs> so they went yeah. back and asked him too about his his reflections on the trump period having with these movies now being you know they have a huge cult fandom um so it's it's it was nice to go back and watch it and um kind of yeah. have you heard of uh heather metal parking lot were they interview the, the kids at the concert <laughs> well no there's there's like heavy metal parking lot which is that film about the kids going to the concert uh but an artist uh based in new york started doing something called heather metal parking lot no and they set it up at um the Wasaic Project, which is a residency in upstate New York, an artist residency in the summers. And they were doing it every summer up until the pandemic. I don't know if they restarted it or not, but they do, they play Heathers in a field uh, and it becomes oh just God. like a big event. Um, if I see any uh, email blast about the next Heather Metal Park, <laughs> I'll, I'll send it your way. I feel like you'd be into it. Yeah, 
I think that's nice yeah, too. Please, writing please. about. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm talking over Steph again. Sorry. No, what were you going to say? I was going to say that it, it's nice to go back to and and see how the how the fandom has taken off for these movies over the years. Yeah. So I remember Steph, you'd written about maybe a festival for um, the Goonies, maybe. There, there's been festival, you know, like the, everybody now has like a festival and a parade attached to it is is really kind of exciting to see. Um, with you coming out of Pennsylvania, you probably, I'm sure there's like a living, the Night of the Living Dead kind of stuff that happens. Yeah, yeah. The zombie walks in Pittsburgh. <laughs> and you get the uh, the Clark Griswold Christmas thing happens. So it's, uh, yeah, these the way that, um, like, like people our age who saw this stuff when they were kids and the way they've carried it, you know, have carried this thing and still obsess about it all these years later is just wild sometimes to see. Yeah, there's a Sam Raimi festival in Oregon every year. It's actually in July on my birthday, which is why it struck me. It's on the same day every year, too, which I thought was weird because they may just have it like during the week. And it's whatever town they filmed in. It's not called Castle Rock. It's he or Rob Ryder called it Castle Rock, but um there's also just something about heathers i saw on the internet where they said if if people understood gen x at all they wouldn't call us karen they would call us heather <laughs> that was one of my, <laughs> my <things. laughs> that's great um cool. uh janine and stephanie thank you so much for talking with me for a little bit here on paper cuts before i let you go can you tell us one more time where people can find the zine learn more about you uh, get you on social media and all that. Um, Chris, thanks for having us. We, we really enjoyed this. Um, for anybody that's interested, Girls on Film is online at uh, girlsonfilmzine.com. Um, you can also find us on Instagram. And, uh, our handle is at girlson80sfilms. Um, Steph posts there a lot, so <laughs> come find us. And um, we are in, let's see, we have issues in Quincy Books in Chicago. Um, in um, I'll, I'll let Steph go through the list of bookstores because I forgot some. <laughs> so we're, in, we're in South Street Art Mart in Philly. We're in Quincy Books in Chicago. We are in Avant Pop Books in Las Vegas. And People's Books in Tacoma Park, Maryland. And we're also, we're, we, we're in a lot of zine libraries. Most recently, and I think most proudly, we joined the Library of Congress Zine Library. Um, if anyone oh. wants info about that, they do a section of their website. And I think it's just zines at loc.gov. But um, we do tend to donate, and we're in the Barnard Zine Library, um, hopefully someday in the Mason Zine Library. And yeah, we're, 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 we're more than willing to put our stuff out there, uh, donate it, and just just get our our get people to read about these movies. <laughs> and do you have a, a zine fest or an art book fair that you're coming up to next? We're we'll be in Philly um, in November. That's the next one. We're on the wait list in DC, so maybe something will will work out soon. Or Philly's in December. Sorry, December second. Excellent. Well, great. If I don't uh, see you before then, hopefully I'll see you at one of these book fairs.
words are defined in many different phrases. I use some of these in some other